I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome into this week's episode of the Two Tales World Podcast. Tom Hacking alongside Steve Bartle. So much to get to, so little time. Check Steve out on Twitter at sbartle247 or at utone.com, seven-day free trial for those interested, or myself at Tom Kantakit. Okay, so sports.com, and of course, we can't start the podcast without mentioning Nate Wade Subaru. Uh, terrific, terrific partners, my word, 1207 South Main Street. They want to buy your car. By the way, I was on their website the other day, natewade.com, and they literally have everything there. Uh, so, like, when the world shut down a year and a half ago and nobody was doing anything, I guess they just put all of their resources into uh, creating a better user-friendly experience on the website because you can go there, you can set up appointments, you can look at inventory, you can even get an offer on your current car. Uh, it's it's truly special. Nateway.com, go check them out, tell them we sent you, and uh, they'll look after you, give you a bag of popcorn, juice box, you name it. Steve, tap them, man. What up, Tommy? How's it going, man? Dude, I'm good. I'm good. What day is it today? Is it? Are we? Is it? No, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Today. Yeah, it's it Wednesday. is Wednesday. And uh, so hump day. We love that. Uh, we get through today. We have Thursday night football to look forward to tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, boy, it's all downhill from there, if you ask me. Thanksgiving next week. But my word, Steve, this is as big of a game as as well, I can remember. Uh, Geez, I don't know. You'd probably have to go back to the Pac-12 title game in 2019. To and, and coincidentally, it was against Oregon. So Utah, Oregon. Whenever these two teams meet, pretty pretty big battles. No, absolutely. This is a huge game for Utah, and I think you know outside of the Pac-12 championship game, like I mean, you could you could go back. I mean, even further. Cup like a month earlier, maybe that Utah Washington game. As in terms of just looking at regular season matchups, that Utah Washington game in 2019 at Washington, Zach Moss, Tyler Huntley, Jalen Johnson pick six. Like, um, and even then, like Washington wasn't ranked. Like, this is a huge matchup for Utah. This is a big, big game, Tom. Like, huge. This is a big game. You're you're welcoming Utah's welcoming. The number three team in the country. Number three. Um, number three. Yeah, it's uh, says a lot about where they're at as a program. They've got the best win in college football, and yeah, this is a huge matchup this weekend. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Ohio State's only loss is to Oregon. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. And Oregon got them in Columbus early in yeah. the year which is probably a good time to get the Buckeyes if you're going to get them at all, I guess. But mm-hmm. number three team in the country. Let's start there, Steve. Um, and I don't want to offend anybody that is an Oregon fan, but are they are they the number three team in the country, do you think? Or is it like, we're, like I just don't. Yeah. Okay, I'll be honest. I'll be transparent. I don't think they're the number three team in the country. I think they're a top 10 team, but number three in the country, I've seen them play, Steve, and they put up performances where it's like, ah, oh, you know, like they barely got over the line against, I think it was Fresno State, you know, like, like sure. number three team in the country. Yeah. 
No, it, it, it says a lot about how valuable that win is. And I think, you know, with the playoff committee, like as long as you get those big wins, that's all that matters. Like they're not watching these games. It's pretty clear that they're not watching these games. I think even Gary Barta said that they don't watch these games. Like I think that he literally said that uh, on Tuesday night or whatever they, they dropped these that, you know, remove what you watch from these games and just look at the numbers. And it's like, no, like that doesn't like that absolutely matters. You got to evaluate these teams. You got to watch them. Um, but it's clear, like you know, they view that that Ohio State win very, very highly. Um, and and like I said, it is the best win in college football. It has a ton of value for Oregon, and they've kind of ridden that value uh, the rest of the season because you now they haven't played great. They haven't looked looked great. You know, they they dropped a game to Stanford. Um, there's certainly plenty of context surrounding that game, uh, where they were out, they were without Joe, Joe Moorhead, their offensive coordinator. What kind of impact does that have? Um, they've, you know, this Oregon team is really, really interesting. They've looked really good at times. They've looked really bad at times. Um, and I, I think, you know, kind of the inconsistencies start on that offensive side of the ball with, you know, their quarterback, Anthony Brown. Um, and, and so, you know, it's wild. Like, I agree with you, Tom, like in terms of just like the eye test, like the eye test tells me that this is more of like a a team that should be ranked five, six, seven. Right. But, but again, like that, that win at Ohio state, um, and the way that Ohio state has played since then, like it just, it shows you just how valuable those big wins and big games really means to this playoff committee. So like I get it in in one sense, especially with what Gary Barta said, uh, who's like the the chairman this season of the playoff committee. Um, I'll have to find that quote because it's awful, uh, but it makes a lot of sense and why they have Oregon where they do. So, so I want to dive into like the team stats because it's quite remarkable just how close these two teams are when you look at the numbers. Uh, and I'm, I know you have, but, you know, for the rest of the crowd, they, they haven't. But so, so I, I want to touch on uh, the, uh, what Barta said about the, the winner against Ohio state and, and how that could potentially impact, you know, future scheduling for Utah. Um, I know I think this is public. I, I don't really know, I, but I'm going to say it. Um, like Coach Whittingham, he considers BYU as a Power 5 team. Um, and now I guess technically they are with the Big 12 invite and everything. But even when they were like independent and very little chatter about joining the Big 12, he still considered them a, a Power 5 team and the emotion. And so he basically um, has instructed the athletic director to not – if BYU's a part of the non-conference schedule – he doesn't want another Power 5 team on the schedule. He wants, you know, the Weber States or the Idaho States to be there so that they can, you know, we can fund them some coin. And then, and then like a group of five team, if, if BYU is on the schedule, like that's why you've seen like the Fresno States or the Wyoming's or, you know, whatever. And then there's BYU and BYU is considered to go Whittingham and the Utah football program is kind of that Power 5 team. But, and I understand why he does it because, like playing BYU is physical. It's an emotional game. Like it drains yeah. the players, you know, right. that entire week is tricky and it's, it's a tough game and, and there's, there's no other way to kind of explain it. 
but but should he should he start to to think maybe about increasing and I think they have that's a part of it too is like is is um what's his bucket the athletic director uh Mark Harlan he's kind of said like uh ah, we're going to schedule bigger teams cuz we need like Florida and LSU yeah. are now into the fray like yeah. that need that needs to happen doesn't it Steve and it is happening which is good yeah no i think it's it's great that that um you know Harlan that Whittingham have um embrace that because those big wins, those marquee games and those marquee matchups, they carry a ton of value. You know, it's those cross conference matchups and, and it really provides a ton of, of, of uh, context to kind of the, the lay of the land for this playoff committee. And it's, it's supremely valuable for, you know, program, um, you know, to, to not only get a win, but to at least be competitive in those games. And so you give the, you have to give yourself those opportunities to get those big wins, to get those big matchups. Right. And I think they've done a much better job of adding those types of, of, uh, uh, cross conference, you know, conference matchups, you know, with Utah and they've got Arkansas, they've got Baylor, they've got, um, you know, LSU, Florida, they've got Wisconsin down the road as well. So, you know, it's it's certainly something that Utah um, has done more of is adding those marquee games. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see the impact that those games have uh, for Utah when, you know, we eventually get to those matchups and those games. And it starts next year with Florida going to Gainesville um, and taking on the Gators. And, you know, that's a potential big opportunity for Utah to make a, an impression next year. So, yeah, I think you know, regardless of of BYU, um, like it, it absolutely is something that will benefit Utah's is scheduling more of these marquee matchups because you look at what it's meant for Oregon, you know, this year with getting that win at Ohio State, it's it's meant everything. It's you know, it's buoyed them up, it's carried them through some sluggish play, and has kept them in the playoff ranking, which is you know, it's great for them. So something else to to like think about as a fan is. Um... The Pac-12 plays nine conference games, the SEC and a bunch of others play eight. Yeah. So, like, there's this narrative that the Pac-12 stinks and they, you know, there's a good chance Utah beats Oregon and Oregon's not going to be in the playoff and, you know, whatever. And another year goes by in the Pac-12. But they play, they play like, one extra conference game a year, which, which is, like, pretty substantial, I think. And I don't know if people understand just how substantial it is. I don't know if the playoff committee, I don't know how much, you know, thought or emphasis that's placed on it, but like clearly it plays a role and clearly the Pac-12 has sabotaged itself enough that they haven't been in the college football playoff for a number of years now. And there's reason behind that. That's also reason why, like, I assume Carl Woodyham doesn't want two Power 5 teams on their non-conference schedule because they've got nine scheduled already in the conference yeah you know like that that like all of this plays a role so just bloody make it work the ncaa it's not something you've been good at in the past but can we just get a level playing field please and and the power five conferences play the same amount of conference games it shouldn't be that difficult anyway we don't need to go down that rabbit hole that's something more uh more for the off season but steve here we go all right bear with me the first Number, I'm going to say, is Oregon. The second is Utah. That'll save me from repeating myself. I'm going to go through a number of statistics, 
and I'm going to give you the numbers. First, again, for all the, all, all the people out there, the first number will be Oregon, the second will be Utah. That'll stop me from going Oregon this, Utah that, like 20 times. So just bear with me. Points per game, 35.3 to 35.7. That's what, point. Four point four Utah, yeah, so nothing. Yeah. Points allowed per game, twenty-two point six to twenty-three point eight. So Utah's given up just 1. over 1. one point, yeah, one point two points 1. per 2. game. Total, I mean, this is where it gets really crazy, Steve. Total yards, forty-four point three, forty-four, four hundred forty-one point three. Spit it out, Tom, to four hundred thirty-eight point one. It's like two yards. You know, the difference, nothing. Yards passing, 213.9, 223.6. Yards rushing, 227.4, 214.5. Yards allowed, 367.9 to 346.9. Like, nothing in that. Pass yards allowed, 248 on the dot, 207.7. So Oregon's given up, you know, a decent amount more in the air than Utah's. Rush yards allowed, 119.9 to 139.2. So Oregon's stifling the run pretty good so um and then like to further dive into all of this and i know the espn football power index is you know a load of nonsense but they give utah 61.8 percent chance of winning steve holy cow yeah pretty interesting Uh, (laughs) like pretty pretty interesting and and you know i think the vegas they've got utah as a three-point favorite I think they're minus three coming into this one. And, you know, it's been interesting diving into this one. Like the numbers as you just went through them, Tom, pretty even, right? Like there's not much separation between these two programs. But then you look at like the the talent, you know, in terms of how we evaluate, um, you know, at 24-7 sports and the recruiting ratings industry. Um, and there's a huge difference in terms of the talent level between these two programs. Uh, you know, and, and I think Oregon has something like 44, four and five star, uh, players on their roster, which is, you know, more than double the number that Utah has. Um, so there's a ton of talent in the program up there at Oregon. And and that honestly, that might be the difference in terms of just how to kind of view this game. Um, but even then, like Utah. I think they have the the talent at the at the right positions, right? Like coming into this one, I think we can agree that Cameron Rising is a better quarterback than Anthony Brown. Like Anthony Brown has done a good job for that Oregon team, but Cameron Rising is is a much better quarterback than Anthony Brown, and I think that can account for um, that can make up for a, a lack of overall talent. Um, you know, you've got the right pieces in place. Uh, but man, this, this team, these two teams, right. There's uh, again, in terms of just the product on the field, maybe they go about it different ways. Uh, but man, there is not much separation in terms of the production on the field. It's, it's a pretty tight matchup on both sides of the ball. Well, let's, let's just start with, with Oregon, Steve, take us through kind of the cliff notes version of you've, you've kind of harped on a few things with, Brown and um, you know Thibodeau on on the defensive side of things, but like let's go through like some key players and and talk about strengths for for the Ducks um, for all the Utah fans out there that maybe haven't done done their homework quite yet. Yeah, no, for me, I think 
when you're talking about this Oregon Ducks offense, it starts with the offensive line. Um, you know, Mario Cristobal coming to Oregon as the head coach, he was a big time offensive line coach, I think at Alabama. Um, and, you know, he's brought kind of the emphasis, you know, on recruiting big offensive linemen. And you see it this season for the Ducks. They've got a gigantic offensive line. I think they averaged 316 pounds across, you know, those, those five bodies. Um, and, you know, they've got two guys that were offensive tackles, you know, in high school playing guard um, that are both just gigantic. I think they're 6'6", 325, 6'6", 335. Um, and so it starts up front with the talent that they've brought in, you know, in the trenches. And they've, they've become a very good team, you know, in the run game in terms of their ability to block, to generate yards for the run game. And, um, you know, I've talked about this before, but there's a, a metric called line yards by football outsiders that kind of determines the amount of yards the offensive line provides, you know, running backs, quarterbacks, whoever's running the ball. Um, and the Oregon offensive line is the number two offensive line in the country behind who else? Oregon State. And what happened in that Oregon State game? Oregon State ran rampant you know, against this, against this Utah defense. And so uh, with, you know, but with that said, Utah responded well the next week, you know, after that Oregon state loss against, I think it was the number six team in UCLA in, in line yards. Uh, And so, you know, what are we going to get from this Utah defense? You know, we'll see and We'll talk about it more, I'm sure. But to, to start the conversation, you have to start with the guys in the trenches for the Oregon ducks, because, with Anthony Brown and his struggles as a passer, everybody knows that Oregon has to run the ball and they've still been able to run the ball pretty efficiently, pretty explosively. And it's, again, it's because the guys in the trenches. Yeah. Um, so if you look at some of the rushing numbers, Travis Dye's their leading rusher. He's their number one back. Through 152 attempts, he's, he's rushed for 908 yards. It's an average of six on the dot. He has 12 touchdowns to his name, which, which yeah. you may think is a lot. Um, and it is. Like 12 touchdowns is a significant amount. Um, the second rusher on the team, Anthony Brown, Steve. Yep. And he's had 109 attempts. That's, that's a lot of carries for a quarterback for 551 yards, 5.1 average. And he, he's had eight rushing touchdowns on the ground. Yeah. Significant. No, yeah, he's he's a a big time presence in their run game. Like they feature the run game with Anthony Brown. He's a very athletic guy, um, you know, and and so he's they have to utilize him in that in that manner because you know he's he's not a great passer, and you know so he's he's done a good job of picking his spots of when to run, um, and you know it's he's contributed very positively to their run game totals. Like you, like you said, I think he's got what over 500 yards total. Yeah. This season he's done, he's done a really good job. And they, 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 I mean, their running back room is, is pretty deep. Ryan Coldwell yeah. and CJ Bedell have also carried the football a decent amount of times. And, and they've got nine touchdowns on the ground combined between the two of them. So they, they score a lot of their touchdowns on the ground, Steve. Um, is that, and then, and so you go back to Utah this season. Um, and, and that, 
surprisingly, I guess they, they've actually had a, a pretty difficult time stopping the run, Steve, which is something Utah hasn't had all that much issue with in previous years. But uh, Carl Woodingham's spoken about it, you know, at nauseum, it seems, about how he's got, you know, I think it was like at one point, and it may still be three freshmen on the defensive line who are really talented, you know, Van Fillinger, yeah. Xavier Carlton, those sort of guys. But, but they're just they're just young and, and, you know, they haven't like grown into their bodies. There's still a lot of muscle that they need to put on. They, they need to gain some weight. And and so that, that, that's got to be a pretty big concern, I have to imagine, with how successful Oregon's been rushing the football this season. It's kind of been Utah's weakness defensively, right? No, absolutely. You know, you can go back to their three losses. And how did the opponent beat Utah? It was... You know, with the run, it was with the run game. You know, you can look at uh, the BYU game. Um, you know, Tyler Algier ran it pretty consistently uh, and, and really started to pick up a lot of yardage, you know, six, seven yards per pop late in that game. Um, San Diego State, again, another team that relies on the run. They, they have a physical office in front, um, and they were able to block and generate yards in that game uh, for their run game. And, and lo and behold, Utah's unable to, to leave um, that game with the win. Fast forward to the Oregon State game. The offensive line, very physical up front, uh, created a lot of opportunities for the run game. Um, and, you know, what happens? Oregon runs all over. With that said, you know, I'm fascinated to see the impact that playing at home can have for these guys, you know, and, and because all of those games, all of those, those matchups were on the road. And, uh, you know, so we'll see what kind of <laughs> added juice uh, <laughs> can, can Rice Eccles provide these guys in the trenches. They're going to need it uh, because, like I said, this Oregon offensive front is, is very good. And, you know, as you pointed out, Tom, this Utah defensive line is very young. And they've got to, they've got to grow. They've got to mature um, physically. And, you know, I think this group would have been really, really good had they not lost Vianney Moala. Like, I've been thinking about this a lot. Utah needs, you know, those, those senior, those junior, senior veterans that have been in the program for four, three to four years where they have that maturity. They've been through the process for a number of years. And then you can kind of utilize these freshmen here and there. But with the loss of Vianney Moala, it's it's really kind of thrown a wrench in things where now you've had to rely on these freshmen more so than what you were expecting. So now that depth is kind of exposed um, a little bit where, you know, it's it would have been a great weapon for Utah to use these freshmen in certain situations while still having those stabilizing forces, you know, in, in Viani Moala. And, and, you know, you still have Hawati Pututau, but uh, but still, like, I think it's just kind of exposed some things uh, for Utah up front, um, exposed their youth. Um, and so it's it's this is going to be a, a big test for that group this weekend. And like I said, like, I'm very interested to see the impact of playing in front of the home crowd, what that will mean to this group um, and just to to see their progress. Like I said, like they responded really well after that Oregon State loss. Um they, they shut down the UCLA run game. They shut down the Stanford run game. You know, they didn't have a great game last week, but, you know, we'll see how they, you know, bounce back from that sluggish performance last week. And uh, 
this weekend. So you know, there's always the opportunity for growth week to week. And I, 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 I hope that we see that from this group this weekend. The, the only thing I'll say with them, um, and you're not wrong, by the way, but you know, you go back to UCLA, they're probably the best team Utah's played since that loss to Oregon State. They, Donovan Thompson Robinson did not, did not right, play right, that right, game, which, right. which is obviously... Certainly uh, helps. Certainly made life easier for Utah. Not, nonetheless, they still were able to suffocate that that dangerous UCLA offense and, and limit them to very little. So, so Steve, I don't know how your brain works, but this is kind of an insight into how mine does when I, when I look at two teams, you know, from a football, you know, in, in a football setting, um, I go, yeah, you know, I break offenses down into two pass and, and, and running, you know, passing the football, rushing the football. And I do the same for both teams. So, so I'm thinking about Utah and Oregon, and this is kind of how I'm breaking it down. I go, you know, Oregon, uh, has the better rush attack than Utah does, but it's marginal, you know, because I think Utah's got a very good rush game too. Like assuming Tavion Thomas, by the way, if he if he's not healthy and he's unable to go, that's a big, big blow. If he's healthy and can play, um, then I think I think to be honest, I think the, the rushing attacks for both teams are, are pretty similar. Tavion Thomas has 14 touchdowns, Travis Dye has 12. Travis Day has like I think it's like 200 or 150 more rush yards, but he's got about 30 more carries to his name. So they're pretty similar is my point. You know, you, you, you can almost call that a wash if Tavion Thomas is, is healthy. And then I start to look at the passing attacks from both teams and I go, well, I actually think, and you alluded to this earlier, Steve, Cameron Rising in Utah and the weapons they have on the on the outside with with, with Brad Keithy, Brenton Covey, Vele, Solomon Enos, you know, the list goes on for, for Utah. I actually think Utah's got the upper hand when it comes to the passing attack. I, I think Utah's more dangerous throwing the football than Oregon is, which is a statement I never actually thought I would ever say. Uh, but here we are, 2021, Utah has the better passing attack than the Oregon Ducks. Um, is, is that fair of me to, to kind of estimate in that sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's fair. I, I'm, I, uh, you know, and I think it, the, the, uh, the difference in the passing game, you know, it starts at the quarterback position, right? Like I think, I, I think everybody would agree that Oregon maybe has more, not maybe Oregon has more talent at the receiver position. Um, just natural God given talent. Like I don't think anybody would argue that, but I do think that, that Utah has the better quarterback and in order to have a good passing game, you've got to have a good quarterback that can throw it. Right. And I think that's the difference for Utah there. Um, I think it's more, I think it's closer um, in the run game. Um, but I, yeah, I would, I, man, I don't know. Utah, man, Utah has been so good on the ground the last few weeks, but how much of that is a product of the opposition um, and where they're at as a program. Um, but yeah, like I, I think it's very close. I would probably side with you and, and give the edge to Oregon just because you know, they have the big offensive line that that does a great job. They've been able to sustain it their their run game, you know, effectiveness without their top guy in CJ Burdell, who was lost in that Stanford game. Um, you know, so whew, that's tough. But it's very very close. You can go either way with that one. Yeah, it's it. So then we're left to to kind of think about the defenses, the two defenses, and a battle of first round picks. If you ask me, Devin Lloyd for Utah, Thibodeau for uh, for the Oregon Ducks. Who has the better defense, in your opinion, Steve? Ooh. Oh man, that's a great question. I mean, I think I think the Oregon defense. Um, you know, they've got experience in the secondary. They've got 
playmakers at linebacker. Um, Sewell being one of them. Sewell, you know, and, and then they've got, you know, a defensive front that's strong against the run, that's consistently strong against the run. Um, you know, Utah plays very good defense year in and year out. Uh, man, that's a tough one. That is a tough one, Tom. Is it a flip of a coin? Um, I mean, I if I lean anyway, I probably lean towards or oh man, no, I can't because I I think Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell are just so good. They they do a lot of things that you know, man, that's tough. I could go either way, Tom. It's a flip of the coin. It's a it's a pick 'em basically. I mean, so so there's no there's no question. Vegas has this at a three point margin favor of Utah and for betting for or for be- people out there that aren't all that familiar with betting um and I'm no expert trust me but um I, I do believe Vegas generally gives three points to the home team so it's basically a pick them uh yep. is what Vegas is saying um and they're just giving Utah three points because they're playing at Rice Eccles. I imagine if this was being played in Oregon, Oregon would be a three-point favorite just because of the home team. Mm-hmm. Um, so ooh, wait, uh, let's get into the health then of, of Utah because it's going to play a pretty significant role. Tavion Thomas we spoke about. Is he going to be healthy, Steve? There's also some concern about offensive line. Uh, Nick Ford was quoted. Uh, Nick Ford's such an interesting player. Um, and 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 in an interview, he, he kind of shares a lot of information. Uh, and this week he told us that, uh, and I don't know where, I think it was just after practice one day, he said that he's been struggling with uh, like a flu or something and he's dehydrated because he's taken all these drugs. And and so then he went into detail about how he got a stomach cramp and a leg cramp and an arm cramp on the final drive, but he pushed through it because he's Nick Ford, baby, and that's what we do. So is he going to be healthy, Steve? Is the offensive line okay? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, no, I think the offensive line, I think Ford is okay. I think he made it pretty clear that he was just dealing with some cramps uh, <laughs> in Arizona. I think he's had a sinus infection. Sinus is what it infection, is. sorry. Yeah. Yes. And uh, and so, yeah, I think, I also think Keaton Bills, you know, who's been out of the lineup the last few weeks, um, you know, I think, I think he he's probably available this week. What what is uh, what is going to be interesting to learn on Saturday is the availability of of a guy like Fabian Marks who left that game that Arizona game. You know he was it looked like a non contact injury um, where he was chasing down Will Plummer on that fourth down run and then you know, he comes up limping um, in the middle of the play. So his health is in question. Uh, Tavion Thomas who wasn't available. Theo Howard who I think played just one snap, the health of those guys, where are they at? Uh, I think those are, are really important things to to keep an eye on over the, the next couple of days and into Saturday. But at least we know Nick Ford is healthy uh, and that he was just dealing with cramps because that would be a big blow uh, for, for Utah. They need Nick Ford. They need a good offensive line performance. Um, and Nick Ford is, is really, really key to that. Uh, we're at a point of the year, uh, according to Carl Woodenham, where no more injury updates will be given. Yeah, <laughs> which kind of scares me, Steve. I, I got to say, it kind of it worries me a little bit <laughs> because um, 
Well, like he's a freak when it comes to injuries, his old wit. He's just an absolute weirdo with it. He's like really, really, really frightened about the thought of another team potentially having insight into one of his team, team uh, into one of his players' injury health. Um, but we're like going back to where we have been over the years where like he's just kind of get, goes into his little hole and I'm like, no, Kyle, stop, just Keep doing you. You've done such a great job this year. Look where we're at. We're playing some of our best football that we've ever played. And we got, we're going back to old ways, man. Stop. Beat, somebody beat it out of him or something. Like, I don't like it, Steve. I don't like it. I just be transparent uh, and good things will happen is how I've seen this. Because he's been as transparent as he's ever been in media availability this season. When it comes to injuries, or depth chart, he's just, he's like, screw it, whatever. Let's just let it out. And it's actually kind of been cool and it's kind of worked. And now it's like, we're going back to what we were dealing with earlier. It's like, no more injuries. Oh, because if Cristobal finds out that Fabio Marx can't play, you know, like everything changes. No, nothing changes. Just go. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't remember this being a thing, but apparently this is how they operate year in and year out. But I don't, I, like I said, like I don't remember injuries, you know, at the end of the season and season ending injuries becoming a thing. But you know, I think he even said like, we don't want to tip the hand to the opponent. It just doesn't make sense. And it's like, all right, like that's just, that's, <laughs> that's how you, he, if he loses, we'll let you, he, he yeah. loses sleep over this sort of stuff, man. I'm serious. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I, uh, <laughs> it's wild, but like, I get it. Like, so it makes sense, let, right? You know, and, yeah. It, yeah. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> Neither do I, man. I, what are we talking about? I don't about? know. We're talking about bloody injuries. We're talking about practice? Injuries? Um, anyway, whatever. Here we are. Uh, the NCAA, this is going back to the NCAA, and it's again probably more of an off-season subject. But if the NCAA were just to like mandate injury reports like any other, you know, like well-known, respected league out there, this would never be a thing. But instead, they're too hung up about the billion dollars they're making on merchandise that you know they just let this stuff fly. And it's what will always like kind of turn me off the game a little bit like i love the game i can love the game i played it for crying out loud and i can am passionate about it but there are just certain parts of it i just hate and like to be honest that's one of them is you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to hide injuries you should have to make that public because i just think it's so stupid goodness gracious anyway i nearly went down a rabbit hole steve and i stopped myself um where else do we go? So uh, Arizona game didn't quite turn out how uh, we envisioned. Do you remember last week's episode? We basically sat here on our throne and talked about uh, how this Arizona game could well be a replica of the Stanford game. And my word was it not. Uh, yeah. That came down like, you know, the, the final minutes essentially of the fourth quarter, which was quite surprising. But either way, it's college football. And, and, and I guess the way I would explain – to fans or when I speak to my in-laws, I'm like, 
this is we're, we're talking about 18 19 20 year old kids here which is like part of the attraction to college football because like upsets occur all the time they really do and it's because there's no consistency because if you were 18 19 or 20 again you'd go back and realize just how many mistakes you make every single day whether it be in relationships in a classroom on a football field whatever the case may be you are learning uh, every second of every day at that age and uh, and to rely on an 18, 19, 20-year-old to be consistent is certainly no way to uh, to potentially have success. And so I, I, that's how that's what I wrote that that loss. Oh, sorry, that win up to Steve was just teenagers, young adults being young adults and not showing up because they thought they could roll them. I, I don't know, but that's kind of what you need to expect when when you're dealing with kids that age. Oh, I think like, yeah, it's, it's certainly something to, to expect. And, and, uh, and so it, it provides an opportunity for this young group, you know, that hasn't been through these moments to learn, right? Like, I think that's kind of been the, the, the interesting thing to, to hear from the players as we've been up, um, you know, talking to these guys the last two days at media availability is that, um, you know, that game provided them the opportunity to clean up some things, which is, you know, really helpful that it happened the week before the Oregon game. It didn't happen in the, in the Oregon game. So the timing of, you know, this sluggish performance that they had uh, is really, really helpful because, you know, there's for a coach anyways, I don't think there's any better way to have the attention of your players than after a game like that, right? Where it's opponent, it's an opponent, you're clearly over, you know, you're just, they're overmatched by the amount of talent, the level of play that you, you bring to the table. So you can get the win without your best performance. There were some clear mistakes, some clear costly um, events that took place in that game that if they happen against a team like Oregon, you know, it's, it's, it's ugly. Right. And so, uh, you know, you get the mistakes out and yes, they are mistakes that we've seen previously, which is very concerning, but I think for a coach that has to be the exact type of, game. I don't want to say the exact type of game. You always want your team performing, you know, at its optimum, but you know, it's it could prove to be very beneficial for Utah this week. Um, you know, as long as they get back to um, the things that they were doing well, cleaning up the mistakes and buying into what is what is being coached and and doing what is what is asked of them, I think it could be a a beneficial experience for them as long as they allow it to be. Sure. Yeah. No. I look. I. Yeah. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I think. The more mistakes you make, the more you learn, the more you grow, yeah. the better you become. And so hopefully we, yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. The, the, yeah. Something I'll add to Steve is, um, and I, I think I speak on, on both of our behalf, but you, you go back over the, the last year with, with this project, you go back even like a year and a half, I guess. You start with the Morgan Scally incident, which was you know, pretty detrimental. And, and then you go to the first death, the first tragic death of the family. Um, on Christmas Eve, and then of course there's a second death a few weeks ago with, with the murder of Aaron Lowe, and 
Mm-hmm. Like there's just been, it's just been so much that this this group has had to kind of overcome, and nothing short of of tragedy. Um, I, I, I'm I'm so thrilled that they they're going to get to experience this game uh, because this is this is this is why you play the game. This is why you come to the University of Utah. This is why you 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 try and play collegiate football. Is for games like this uh, where. Number three in the country rolls into town, and you 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 happen to be ranked as well at number twenty three. Rice Eccles Stadium is going to be as loud as it's ever been. I have to assume. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is why you wake up at six a.m. for six months straight. You scrape the ice off your windshield in the middle of January uh, to go and run and and sweat and work out and like this is this is. Why this this week? This whole week yeah. is it? Like, and so I'm just with everything they've endured and the handful of ser- um, the handful of funerals they've had to attend and the trauma that they've experienced as a, as a group. I I I, I and yeah, you know, if they win the game, great. If they lose the game, whatever. But but just to experience this, I think is is unique, um, and very few people get to experience it. Let's. I don't want to like sound too pessimistic, Steve, but there have been photos going around of other Pac-12 conference attendances Ooh. and uh, Washington, UCLA, Arizona. You know, like there's pretty, yeah, there are some pretty sorry uh, stadiums out there. Utah is fortunate it's not one of them, um, and so there just aren't that many people that get to experience this sort of this sort of atmosphere right. and um, two powerhouse programs. In, in a power five league, go toe to toe. I, I mean, I'm I'm drooling just thinking about the fixture, the the, the matchup because I think it's um, I think it's butter, Steve. I think that's the perfect yeah. way to explain it. It's bloody butter. That's all. Yeah, it's no, butter. It absolutely is butter. Um, <laughs> it's uh, this is arguably like we talked about in the open. Like this is arguably the biggest game for Utah, a regular season game. Man, like you could go back. Man, twenty eighteen was there a big one? No, I mean maybe that that Utah Oregon game for the South Division, where you had Jason Shelley uh, leading the way. They had the the hand painted helmets um, with the with the swoop wings. You know, you could go back to that game as maybe being the biggest. You know, this being the biggest game since that game, which was three years ago. Um, there, yeah, this is a huge game, and and hopefully, you know, the crowd uh, is is there from the get go. And Utah fans have been great this season. It's been awesome to see, um, you know, especially. I think the Mus gets a lot of flack, but um, I think the Mus has done a really good job. Yeah, they're sure, like it's not full to to the brim, but I think the Mus has done a really good job. Um, I think fans North End Zone always does a good job. Uh, the the presence of the south end zone is wild like i still can't it still hasn't sunk in that, that it's like that's what it is you know what i mean like right. it's still it's still kind of foreign to me but it's it's such a huge huge deal and and uh is is really really cool obviously but um but again like utah fans have done a great job this year i hope that they pack this thing to the brim before kickoff uh, and and uh, and have a really good showing this weekend because you're going to be on primetime ABC and it's good to have a good showing, a full crowd at kickoff. 
Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. No college game day. That'll be in Columbus, Ohio. That's where the Buckeyes are hosting Michigan State top 10 matchup uh, out there in the Big Ten. But it's ABC. It's prime time. It's 5.30 p.m. Uh, It's going to be gorgeous. And it's nationally televised on... On one of the bigger platforms you can you can play on. So ABC, ABC, yep, 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 there yep. you go. So it's yeah, it's massive. Uh, let's before I get out of here, let's have a quick gander at the weather because that's obviously going to play a role. Oh boy, Steve, this isn't good, man. I was thinking maybe I take old Mini Me to his uh to his first college football game, but I'm starting <laughs> to think maybe that's not going to play. Uh, 40 percent chance of rain. I can't go into details. Uh, like I can't break it down hour by hour because it's too many days out. I'm on my I'm just on the weather app on my phone. I'm sure you can figure it out if you have more time. High of 47, low of 45. Uh, yeah, I reckon uh, I love going to Rice-Eccles, but this one uh, probably better suited on the old couch with dirty Dr. Pepper in hand, Steve. I reckon maybe just uh, just having a gander, 40% chance of rain. Bloody cold as can be. <laughs> Tom, we were just talking about showing up on time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... It's not me, Steve. Was, we should have talked about the weather before. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Uh, not like oh, it's going to be rocking. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I just don't know if I'll be helping with the rocking. That's. <laughs> but I don't know if they need me, Steve, to be frank. I think they're good without me. I think, in fact, I think they're probably better without me. You know, whoever takes my seats will be louder. They'll be louder than uh... me. So you don't want me there, Utah fans. <laughs> Uh, right. Uh, good way to end the pod, Steve. You're a good man. It's lunchtime on this beautiful Wednesday. Uh, appreciate oh, you dearly. Head on over yes, to zone.com. Seven day free trial. Check Steve out at, uh, by the way, you said 24 seven earlier and it blew my mind. I was like, I, I say two, four, seven. Yeah, like, a lot of I, people do. Yeah. And I, I've just always thought like, ah, oh, it's two, four, seven sports, but it's 24 seven sports. It makes so much more sense now. Doi. Yeah. I'm an idiot. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, head on over to Steve's. Twitter at 247. What is it? 247 Bartle? Oh, it ruined me now. You've completely butchered my S Bartle 247. Thank you. I'm S Bartle 247. Radio. And just go check me out wherever you can find me. I don't care for it anymore. Love you, Steve. Love all the <laughs> listeners. See ya. Love Nate Wade Subaru. Go check him out. 1207 South Main Street. Bye. <laughs>